Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast, presented by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Get 15% off your online order with the promo code HEELS15. Go to jerseymikes.com slash order now. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. I'm joined by Greg Barnes, Mike Ingersoll, and Jason Staples. A little bit different this week, but you're still listening to the Inside Carolina radio show sponsored by Jersey Mike's of Chapel Hill. Greg, I'm going to start with you. This is our Miami preview. Of course, Carolina travels down to Miami to play the Hurricanes on Thursday night. Um, so a little bit earlier than normal in the week. But, Greg, Carolina's pre- preparation weeks cut a little short, and we've talked about this in the past. They've had some success on these short weeks. So how's how are things going thus far before they head down tomorrow or Wednesday to Miami? Yeah, actually, if you look at Thursday night games during the season, UNC's 4-2 and two under Fedora. Uh, a couple of those South Carolina games to open the season uh, were on Thursday nights. Uh, so if you count those, it's 4-4. Four and four, But 4-2 four and two during the season operating off short weeks. I think that's, that's pretty impressive. It helps that a couple of those come against Pitt. Um, but I, I think the difficulty for North Carolina is that when you look at, you say, okay, now you've got all these players that were suspended back in the fold. Uh, in a typical game week, those guys have really four practices and one walkthrough to kind of get up to speed. What's happening this week is that while most of those guys or all of those guys have been on the scout team, other than you know Tamon Fox and Malik Carney because of that unique deal with the NCAA, uh, Chas Rat, Jordan Tucker, Bo Corrales, all these guys, I've been with the scout team. And so now they're eligible to play after the pit game. And so they come in Sunday and they practice Monday, Tuesday, and then you're on a plane Wednesday. So it's a very much a condensed week. And I think that's really where it's, it's the hardest for North Carolinas. Cause you know, while these may not be uh big time difference makers, I mean, Bill Corrales had two touchdowns against Miami last year. Chasserat, he could be the best quarterback on on the roster right now. We'll have to wait and see, uh, you know, how that plays out. But it's a situation where you would like to have a full week for those guys. Uh, but in terms of understanding what it takes, I think Larry Fedora has been through enough of these these short weeks uh, that he's got a pretty good plan in place. They fared you know, relatively well in these games, and I think they're they're set up as best as they can be to try to deal with that, even though. Miami is a a tough opponent for him. Jason, when you're working on short week, and like Greg said, you add these guys in, uh, how much is realistic as far as how much they could play? Specifically, Chaz Surratt. I mean, how much as a as a coach, how much comfort would you have at inserting him into this game when I believe it was Miami last year uh, that he had some struggles with? I could be wrong there. It's been a long time. He did last year a little bit, but only after he got dinged up. Yeah, so, so he, he's had some history with this team, but how much does the short week affect specifically his potential playing time, do you think? That's a good question, and I actually want to hear what Mike has to say on this too. Um, but my thought on this is that if, if it were me and I was feeling like I was potentially going to play him against Miami, I'd have probably already started getting him some some uh, some reps at the ones and twos last week a little bit to get him back into the flow. Uh, And then if I'd done that, then the question is, as I get into the preparation for this week, does he, is he showing me in terms of decision-making in practice, in terms of grasp of what we want to do? Is he showing me that he's prepared to play? If he's showing that in practice and making the right decisions and, and checking all the boxes, then I'm willing to put him in. Now I'm not sure. I mean, I don't, I don't know that I would start the game with him at this point, not unless I was absolutely certain that not only was he ready, but that he was a big upgrade. And I'm not certain about that at this point um, from, from my vantage point, but I would at least feel comfortable having him as an option if, uh, if Elliot doesn't look like he did uh, against Pitt. So, uh, so that would be, that would be kind of how I would do it. I mean, you're grading these guys every day and I want to see, is he making the right decisions? Does he look like he, he's able to play? based on what we're doing and you know yeah it's a short week but you're still getting uh you know two solid practices 
in which you can evaluate whether or not a guy is actually doing what you're asking him to do. So that, that would be my take. I, I'm, I'm interested to hear Mike's, Mike's take on this. Yeah, your, your question assumes that guys like Chaz have been on the scout team for the last few weeks, have been taking those scout team reps seriously and been using it to actually prepare for this season. And the chances are they've been, they, they've been over there for, for lack of a better term, jerking off. Um, and not taking it seriously because it's the scout team. Uh, and that's just, I mean, that, that, that's, that's just the truth of it. Yeah. I mean, and, and these guys will tell you, no, I'm a pro. I prepare. No, dude, you weren't because I never took scout team seriously. And, and neither are you, especially after you've gotten game reps, right? It's, it's, it's almost a pride thing. It's it, there, there's a lot that, that plays into that. So the truth of the matter is for the last few weeks, they probably haven't been taking those scout team reps very seriously. And they really have, what amounts to two total practices, practices that are substantive, that matter, um, where they've actually gotten some legitimate preparation out of it leading into this Miami game. So the question is not, you know, is he ready to play? It's does he have any utility whatsoever? It's Jason hit the nail on the head. You don't start, you don't start the game with the guy, right? And is he even worth a, is he good enough to be a change of pace quarterback for you if things start going south or if you think, change of pace might actually provide an advantage in the game. I think in that respect, he probably is, but you got to treat him a lot like, you know, the Ravens would treat Lamar Jackson at this point. He is a special package kind of guy coming in only in very specific circumstances and situations. And you got to find the right time to plug him in there because frankly, he does, he's not going to have the game plan down as well as the other guys. Certainly is not as well as Nathan, right. But even as well as the rest of the starters, he's not going to be on the same page as them. Uh, because there's been a delay, there's been a lull, he hasn't been practicing with them. Uh, and if he hasn't been getting those first and second team reps last week, at least phased in the way that Jason was was describing, which I agree would be the right way to prep him if you plan on using him substantially in the Miami game. If he hasn't gotten those reps, then the best you're looking at is he's going to provide marginal utility in uh, certain situations. And, and you just have to be ready to use him and hope that he's ready for for those situations. Greg, of course, Larry Fedora didn't hint at all about what he was going to do um, with the quarterback situation, but I think we all agree that it's going to be Elliott to start with. Uh, the Inside Carolina message board certainly don't agree with that assessment, but I, I think, and maybe I'm wrong, but I think it sounded like Jason, it sounded like Mike, both agree that Elliott's the guy you start for sure, and correct myself with help of Greg a little bit earlier as we were texting back and forth. Surratt took that beating at Virginia Tech, then came back, started the Miami game, got knocked out of the game, and that's when the Nathan Elliott era, for lack of a better word, started at North Carolina against the Hurricanes in Keenan Stadium. But Greg, your thoughts on the whole quarterback situation. I mean, it wouldn't be Chapel Hill, uh, save for Mitch Trubisky's year that he that he played, that he started, that it, it wouldn't be Carolina if we weren't talking about damn quarterback issues one way or another. <laughs> uh, that, that's for sure. And it's amazing. And Tommy, you probably have some perspective on this. It's amazing how quickly a backup quarterback rises to the top. Uh, it's like an old comic. I remember saying a guy goes on a business trip and he's staying in there with his wife and she's kind of plain Jane and he's gone for you know the first week and it shows up him thinking of her a little, cloud bubble and she looks a little bit better and then the next week he's thinking about her and she looks even better and then another time now she's looking like a supermodel and then he gets home and she's back to playing Jane he's like what in the world have I been doing uh, and I think a lot of the backup quarterback idea uh, centers around that and the reason I bring that up is is last year you know Chasserat did get beat up a lot uh, he looked good early in the year and then his confidence took a hit injuries mounted and his play really dropped off. And after Nathan came in against Miami, the team really rallied. They really kind of embraced that leadership. And I think a lot of people think that you know, Surratt was hurt the rest of the year. He wasn't. I mean, he played in the Western Carolina game. He played two series. Uh, but Nathan Elliott was the guy that the coaching staff decided to go with. Um, and so you know, we, we were told in the offseason back in the spring that Nathan had won the job. Now, in hindsight, uh, were, were we told that because they knew Chaz wasn't going to be ready? Possibly. Um, you know, I, I don't necessarily believe that's what it was, but you know, maybe that's the case. But it's not as though Surratt, from anybody we've talked to, uh, has taken you know, such significant strides 
but he's far and away the number one guy. And when you add in the, the leadership stuff, uh, I think it becomes a matter of, okay, do you strip that from Nathan and put Chaz in immediately as soon as he's available and risk upsetting that team dynamic? Or do you go with the best player available, regardless of who it is? Or do you go ahead and just stick with Nate at least early in the game? And then if things aren't going right, then it's, it's an easy switch to put in Surratt. So those are the things the coaching staff has to figure out. Having said all that, uh, when you look back at, at what happened against Pitt, I, I found it very enlightening talking with Nathan after the game. Uh, he was asked about you know, early in the game, especially, but even into the second half, he threw a lot of balls to his left and to his right. You know, those swing passes, those quick slants, bubble screens. Uh, 20 of his 31 passes were right there at the line of scrimmage, you know, five yards up. And he hit on most of them. I think he was like 17 or 20 on those passes. Uh, and he he said, yeah, you know, we, we did it last year. Pitt was giving us you know, a lot of those things, allowed me to get into a rhythm. Uh, and you know, that's kind of what we capitalize on. With Miami's speed, uh, I have a hard time seeing Miami allowing those. I mean, if you go back to the Cal game, Cal did a really good job of kind of pressing up the line of scrimmage and taking away a lot of those easy passes. And Nathan and then offensive line and the entire offense in general just struggled to, uh, to kind of reconfigure itself and make some plays out of nothing. And so that's really what I'm interested in. If Miami takes away those passes, which are kind of core to what Larry Fedora wants to do, what's the recourse? You know, what, what's plan B? Uh, and so I'd like to pose that to, to Mike and to, to Jason. How do you handle that if, if what you want to do initially is not there? Before we go any further, I just want to observe, based on that example of uh, playing Jane, that uh, Tommy, you've been the one that's been kind of suggestion to people that they uh, that they consume some bourbon while they watch and everything. And I don't know anybody else who's more who tends to be more of a fan of the backup quarterback. So, you yep. know, oh. <laughs> so shot, shots fired on the Inside Carolina podcast. Not really, Bucky man. I, of Chapel Hill. Yeah, I, I, uh, <laughs> but Buck's not even on the podcast, and I'm still I had getting shots this way. Well, I had to take I, uh, up for Buck. I even talked more slowly for that to ca- have, kind of have Buck's delivery down there. Oh, that, a little bit of that Buck Sanders draw. Yeah, a little bit of making fun of Tommy, you know? Recognize who's talking, <laughs> Buck, when you're listening to this. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good point, though. The backup quarterback is, the, is always the most popular guy in town. Oh, yeah. And that has been true for as long as football has been played. And the forward except, pass has been a thing. Except for when Mitch Trubisky was quarterback. <laughs> Oh, that's that one year. Well, even, yeah, that's true. That's very true. Oh, yeah, that's right. That was the only time nobody bought the backup quarterback's jersey. Trubisky <laughs> <laughs> ran the show. So, just a couple things. I want to get you, uh, Jason, and Mike's thoughts on Greg's part. But first, let me talk about something to eat because we all love to eat. And Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill has got a great deal for listeners to this podcast. All fall, Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill has partnered with Inside Carolina to offer a great deal for all of you IC podcast listeners. Right now, use the code HILLS15 to get 15% off your order. Online promotion only. Nothing beats a Jersey Mike Sub for delicious lunch or tailgating alternative before a big game. Go to jerseymikes.com front slash order. It'll show the locations nearest to you. Click order, pick your favorite sub, and at checkout, enter Heels 15 and get 15% off that whole order. Skip the line, head straight to the register, grab your food, and you're on your way. It's our opinion that Jersey Mike's is the superior sub option. Tasty, delicious, and it always hits the spot. So do it today. Place an online order at one of the four Chapel Hill and Hillsborough locations. Super easy process. JerseyMikes.com front slash order. Order your subs, Hills 15 at checkout, 15% off your order. Three locations in Chapel Hill, on Elliott Road, one off MLK, and at Falcon Bridge Shopping Center on 54, and the one in Hillsborough is right off exit 261. All locations right there off I-40, super convenient driving into Chapel Hill or cruising around town. And look for Jersey Mike's inside Keenan Stadium and with the tailgate guys this fall. So support the IC podcast and get a discount on New Jersey Mike's order. It's a win-win situation. 
Now, Jason, I also want you to talk about how it affects the chemistry of the team, you think, and it, does that even matter? Because we had a great discussion off air, and you have to be on Super Inside Carolina Premium Podcast member to hear that discussion um, <laughs> about coaching staffs and how they deal with players and all. But I think a professional staff, you play the best guy, it doesn't matter. Is that the same way in college? Do you always play your best? You probably should, but if it affects chemistry in an adverse way and guys are seemingly pretty close, Jason, you start, and then, Mike, I want you to follow. How do you decide who plays? Because, you know, we're going to play who gives us the best chance to win. I think it's been some BS at times in Chapel Hill, but your take. So I'm of the view that the players know who the best player for the job is. You know, players aren't stupid. Uh, and, and coaches are generally best off understanding the dynamic of the team. The, player, the players know when one guy's been moving the football and when one guy isn't, when one guy is making correct decisions and when one guy – I mean, they know. Now, clicks can develop on a team, and sometimes as a coach you have to – overrule some of that you know especially if it's close but generally speaking if there's any separation players know and so you kind of in some sense you don't want to have to make if you have to make that choice as a coach it's usually a bad it's usually bad because then then you're you either don't have enough separation between guys uh where one guy has actually stepped forward and seized the job or you have clicks on your team and divisions in the locker room which that's a really bad sign so that that's the first thing. The second thing is, you know, it, it, as far as which guy, if you've got a guy that's, that's that much better, then, yeah, you're probably going to try to default to him sooner than later. I mean, this is kind of what Clemson just went through. They had a leader in Bryant who's highly respected by that clubhouse, by that, by that locker room. Everybody liked that guy. He's a good player, but come on. <laughs> if you've watched... If you watched one of their one of Clemson's practices in spring, and I went to clinic down there, if you watch one practice of Clemson in the spring, you're like, yeah, that Lawrence guy's gonna be the, he's gonna be the starter by like you know game game two or three. That guy's a lot better than anybody else they have, and players are gonna know that. Heck, Bryant is gonna have a hard time, like you know he's he may not admit it to himself, but he's gonna know. So you make that choice when the team is ready for it. It's, it can be toxic to just jerk the rug out in game one before the guy's proven anything in a game. But then when he goes out there and he gets you know a half and he, play, he outplays the starter, and then he gets three quarters and he outplays the starter, okay, then, then you can start making that choice. And that's why, again, I don't think you go with a guy like Surratt, who, first of all, the players know based on past history, he's not going to be as well prepared. He probably wouldn't be as well prepared to play the game in terms of homework and all that stuff as Elliot, even if he'd been with the team the last four weeks. Now, he off, he offer, he brings other stuff to the table that Nathan doesn't, and they all recognize that too. But given that, odds are you, you really can't start that guy in this game, and you can't have a short rope in this game right away without potentially causing some problems. That's, that's my view. And, Mike, I'm, I'm, again, I want to hear what you have to say on this too. Yeah, well, Jason, you hit a lot of a lot of salient points. The one thing I'll add is is my experience has been as a player and even as a coach, um, the one thing that trumps ability is reliability. And <laughs> there's a lot of, and I mean, it's it that I, I guess it's catchy or whatever, but it's the truth, right? Yeah, if I've got a guy that I can plug in there that I know I don't have to worry about, that I don't, and this is one of the things we talked about, you know, off air. Um, I don't have to worry about this guy. I know he's not going to make mistakes. I know he's going to be, uh, he's going to study up. He's going to be prepared. He's going to know what to do on game day. He's not going to have any mental errors. He's not going to have any missed assignments. Is he going to be the most talented guy? No. I mean, every, every player has experienced a situation. If you've played, you know, varsity high school football uh, to some extent, but really if you've ever made it to the division one level, all right. So for those of you who are listening, who played at this level or even higher, right. You have known guys, you may have even been one where you had a guy behind you on the depth chart who might have been more physically talented. But chances are that you were the starter because you were reliable, because you knew what to do. 
if you found if you were in that situation or the guy on the team or the several guys on the team that you saw in that situation they were on the field playing because they weren't going to make mistakes they were the kind of guy that coaches could count on and not making mental errors and not doing things that are going to cost a team the game well that's that's a lot more important that's a lot more valuable to a coaching staff than some flash in the plan flash in the pan big plays here and there right because those flash in the pan plays are also going to be tempered with some really big mistakes, some real serious F-ups that might actually cost you the game. <laughs> so what's the cost? What's the cost benefit analysis, right? The cost benefit is I got a guy who might not be as flashy, who might not have as many big plays, but I also don't have the downside of his letdowns. I don't have him costing me on certain plays. I don't have him costing me drives. I don't have him costing me big gainers, right? So that's as a coaching staff, especially at the college level, that's what they weigh. Uh, they weigh reliability over ability sometimes when all other things are equal. The guy who's more prepared and the guy who gives them uh, the the least amount of headaches is the guy who, like Tommy said, that old cliche, that's the guy that's going to give you the best chance to win ball games because he's not the guy who's going to give you a chance to lose the ball game. Yeah, a perfect example for what Mike's talking about is for listeners, this is a couple years ago, uh, but when Mikey Bart was starting at end for North Carolina, Great I example. asked Gene Physic, I said, <laughs> you know, why is why is Mikey uh, starting? Why is he getting so many reps? And Gene's response was, he's going to be Mikey there. Mikey didn't appreciate every that question, day. by the way. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to be there every single day, and he knows what to do. And Mikey, you know, he may not be the most athletic of those defensive ends, but he played his butt off. And that's sometimes that's all you need. Um, that was the so one thing Butch – Butch pushed that in team meetings most of the time. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but Butch pushed that a lot, and that was his big thing. Um, I can't play you if you don't know what to do. We'd hear that in special teams meetings. Whenever <laughs> we'd get together and review the tape the next day, we'd always review special teams as a team in that team meeting, right? Right after the lift and right after the little snack that we'd have, we'd go into that team meeting, and we would hear it six, seven, 12 times. I can't. I think I said in that in practice today. I'm sure you did. I mean, every, I can't put you in the game if you don't know what to do. And that's <laughs> good coaches, good coaches ascribe to that. And the guys who know what to do are going to play because, again, they're the ones that give you the best chance to win because they're reliable. So to add another layer to this, since this is a good discussion, let's, let's take a, a little bit broader perspective of the offense. And let's say the offensive line uh, is unable to hold up against Miami's defensive front. Does that change the equation? I mean, it is likely. So are you better off you rolling with a, a guy like Surratt maybe as you get into the game who is a better athlete, who can maybe make things happen on his own more than Elliott? How do, how do you handle that component? As an offensive lineman, that would change the calculus for me, right? So if I'm looking at it, and most offensive linemen, the good ones, they can think like coaches. And I think we've got five that play that can act that, that, that think from a coach's perspective, I, I can see the wheels spinning. And based on the improvements they've made in the first couple of weeks, I, I that we have a very intelligent offensive line, which isn't always the case. Uh, <laughs> offensive linemen, offensive linemen you, are widely regarded as the smartest guys on the team. Right. But oh, I'm not talking about us. I'm talking about in general. Right. Um, but this particular group we have is very intelligent. They're very savvy. Um, and they know, they know what to do to get better. And that is a type of, uh, football intelligence and football IQ that you you don't see across the board across five guys in every single offensive line. So to have that 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 says a lot. And from an offensive line standpoint, I think these guys would be the first to tell you that if we're having trouble keeping this defensive line at bay, which is it's likely they run multiple fronts. Miami does. Um, they've got they've got great athletes. Every team runs multiple fronts, but Miami seems to do it better than some others. And it's because of their their athletes up front. They're really good at running games. Uh, so your, your your twist game, your tackle and, and tackle, um, that causes problems. And it's one thing that our offensive line has been pretty good at this year so far, but Miami's been beating a lot of good offensive lines with that for the last couple of years. Um, if there becomes an issue with the pocket, you're going to want an athletic guy. And an offensive lineman will want an athletic guy back there because he's going to save me from having sacks on my grade sheet come Sunday afternoon. <laughs> I mean, for real, if I got a guy that like Chad's that can scramble and he can get loose and he can get free and make some plays with his legs or at least buy some time for me, that helps me breathe a little easier. 
um, when I'm going up against guys like that. Now they might get in the game and they might maintain the pocket they've had for the last couple of weeks, which I think our, our pass protection has been a, a, a strong suit. It, mo- it certainly was against Pitt. Mm-hmm. Um, if they maintain that performance in pass protection, they're, then, we're, then we're not even – this conversation's a moot point. But if things so do gonna, start to break, you know, yeah, gonna, I think most of the would want that mobile guy. I'm going to I'm gonna uh, toss a curveball at you, though, Mike, and that's that sometimes the, the mobile guys, because they're confident they can hold on to the ball a little longer and scramble around, actually end up running into more sacks. Oh, they, so they do. sometimes I mean, they can they, really they they can up, hurt you. Well, they end up in places as an like from a tackle's perspective, right? I'm supposed to have a guy. Uh, I should be able to get him to to eight yards, and at eight yards, I can run him by the pocket. That's that's the depth I should have him at. <laughs> An athletic mobile quarterback, he might he might wind up at ten. Well, ten's where I'm running the guy. Right. Um, Marquise used to do that all the time. Marquise used to do it. And mobile quarterbacks do it all the time. They're notorious for it. But none of that matters if it's a sieve up front in the middle, right? If the <laughs> Which twist game for Marquise is, sometimes. If our guard, if our guards and our centers are getting picked on twist games and it's a sieve up the middle, it doesn't matter if that quarterback's at ten or two yards. Right? He's getting hit. He's getting hit. Um, so at that point, you know, maybe maybe you hedge your bet and you get a guy that can hopefully get outside the pocket a little bit. The problem is, then you get an athletic quarterback who gets hit a couple of times and he's skittish, and now he just immediately bails, and you have more problems. And we're back to the dilemma you just brought up. So let's sort of twist this and turn this towards Miami specifically for North Carolina. But first, let me talk about Hills Travel. One of the best road trips for a UNC away game is to Charlottesville, Virginia, to see the Tar Heels face the Cavaliers. And now, thanks to HillsTravel.com, there's no better way to get there. HillsTravel.com is selling bus packages now for the October 27 game in Charlottesville. Bus leaves from Chapel Hill and returns the same day. It's a great college town with the leaves changing. Late October in Charlottesville will be beautiful. Visit HillsTravel.com now or call 336-855-0060 to book your trip to see the Cavs and the Tar Heels in Charlottesville. And right now also, Hills Travel selling packages for two UNC basketball games in Las Vegas over Thanksgiving weekend. Two Carolina games, three nights in Vegas, and no travel headaches or concerns. Sounds like a pretty great deal to me. The package includes round-trip airfare to RDU, from RDU to Vegas, round-trip transportation from the airport to the hotel, and three nights at the Aria Resort and Casino. Visit Hills Travel now, hillstravel.com now, or call 336-855-0060 to book your trips to Vegas or your bus trip to Charlottesville. Um, well, no, I want to ask a question of you, Jason, since you talk wide receivers a lot. Let me back up and, and talk about Bo Corrales' addition. And I kind of talked about guys coming in and playing after a short week of practice, but he's a guy that had a huge game last year against Miami. And against Pittsburgh, Daz Newsom and some other guys started to make some noise opposite Ratliff Williams. But the importance of getting more weapons opposite of Williams for North Carolina, whoever the quarterback may be, uh, because I think we agree the running game's pretty solid, but they've got to get uh, the the passing game opened up a bit more. But your thoughts there, Jason? Well, I mean, adding another big body, a big athletic body to the mix who can hopefully be a downfield threat and force you to have to, to play your safeties honest instead of, instead of uh, constantly uh, favoring whatever side Ratliff Williams is on can, can make a big difference. Now, again, a lot of this is contingent on how well-prepared Corrales is going to be. I mean, has he, has he been taking reps sufficient to, to be, to be able to, uh, to be a threat like he needs to be, or is he going to take a few weeks to work his way in? Cause again, wide receivers, I think it's one of the most misunderstood positions in that a lot of, a lot of fans seem to think that if you're big and fast, you can just go out, run out there and get open and catch the football. And wide receiver is one of the most technical positions in the game. You have to, you have to do so many little things right. And you have to be in, in the right yardage for, you know, you have to be right at the right spot at the right time and do it the right way and be consistent in how you do it in order to be a good wide receiver. And, you know, if you can't do that, then you can be 
super fast, you can be a big body and it not matter. So yeah, it, it can be really helpful, but it, it's going to depend a little bit on how much, how much, uh, how ready to, ready to go he is. You know, if he's ready to roll and really ready to contribute, then you're looking at another guy that in some, in some cases, in some contexts, maybe you throw his way on the back shoulder to, to get a first down here or there. Maybe, you know, maybe you use him as a red zone weapon when, when they're expecting you to go to Ratliff Williams. And against Miami, where they're going to have a guy or two who can cover uh, at, a, at, a, at a top level, that that can help, but you know, we'll see. I, I'm 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 gonna I'm not gonna hold my breath waiting for him to replicate his uh, his his performance against Miami last year, which was was quite something. I mean, he he had a really good game in that game. Well, the hardest thing too, Jason, the one thing that 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 I don't think you mentioned, but that you that I that I know you know, you just um, route spacing, right? You want to blow up a passing game, <laughs> route spacing between your receivers, and understanding the guys you're running routes with. Right. And those route combinations, if you don't know where those guys are going to be and you have no comfort level in terms of where the, where they're going to be when you get into that route combination, you're in trouble. Yep. I mean, because the quarterback's going to put the ball where it's supposed to go, not where you're going to be. I mean, everybody that's that, that, that's an old cliche at this point. Right. But if that ball if you're not if you're not where that ball is supposed to be because you don't understand the spacing because you haven't been getting the reps or you haven't been taking the reps seriously for the past few weeks, kind of like what I was just saying about, about scout team. Right. Most teams run some some variation of the same route combinations. Right, so if you haven't been taking those scout team reps seriously, I mean, you're, you're not comfortable with spacing with the guys you're going to be out there with. What there's no guarantee that Bo Corrales is comfortable with the spacing, uh, you know, with Daz Newsom's uh, spacing or his route integrity, the same as he's not comfortable with Ratliff Williams because he hasn't played with him in three, four weeks. We've talked a lot about quarterbacks in this show, and I think we should keep on that train because it's been good conversation. But let's flip it over to to Miami. Miami, very similar to, to what Jason was talking about, you know, with Clemson and, and Trevor Lawrence and Kelly Bryant, they've got a very similar situation where Malik uh, Rozier last year, eh, it was okay. I mean, he, he was adequate and kind of the same thing coming into this year. Uh, but in comes in cozy Perry, who uh, in the little bit that we saw him against the FIU last weekend was fantastic. Got a good arm, incredibly athletic, uh, just appears to be a much more dynamic type quarterback. And I assume the challenge for North Carolina is that uh, here's a kid who really hadn't played any. Uh, so you have very little tape other than what he did against Butch's team. Um, so how do you go about preparing for, you know what you're going to you know, get with Malik, but what do you do with this new kid uh, who's showing you a lot of different things on a short week when you don't have a lot of time to spend practicing uh, you know, against two different looks with your scout team? Well, I mean, we, we've talked about this before, and there's really nothing you can do for a guy that you don't have a whole lot of film on. Again, this is the Patrick Mahomes reference I made uh, either last week or the week before. It, the guy, the kid's lighting it up, and there's, there's no film on him, so it's hard to game plan against a guy you got no film on. Uh, same when you get new coaching staffs coming in and they implement a new system. Those teams, you know, if, if it's the division, at Division One level or a Power 5 team that's relatively – that was good the year before, but not great. Think, you know, Miami and Mark Rick, they're a good example, right? Rick comes in, he puts his system in. Uh, they had early success his first year, uh, maybe more so than they should have. Um, and then obviously uh, was a year two, they went off and they, they hauled off and they won 10 games. That's just because there's, there's, there's not a, a huge catalog of film. Um, and that can, that can even apply going into year two of a player or a system's existence within a program. Because how many different variations of each play can you run? How many, you know, how many variations of, of each move can you put on film if you're an individual player? So it's hard to game plan against that. Really, the best way to do it is if you have film on, you know, transfers or transfers help in this situation, right? Uh, if I'm in the Big Ten and I'm getting getting ready for, for Russell Wilson, you know, a few years back, and I've never seen Russell Wilson at the helm against Wisconsin because he's only got two games of film, right? And that's all I got. I'm watching NC State film. I'm watching what Russell does in another system, right? College coaching staffs come in. They, a new staff comes in. You look at what they did, a coordinator, for example. You look at what the coordinator did at, uh, at, his, at his previous stop. John Tenuta, defensive coordinator a long time. He was a state. He was, uh, he was a Duke. He was at Georgia Tech, right? And he seemed like he moved around a lot. We would always watch film from whatever school he was at previously if there wasn't enough film on him. That's how we would game plan a John Tenuta or a coordinator. Uh, so that's that's what you have to do if you have those resources at your disposal. The problem is with a 
like Miami's quarterback situation, you just don't have that. So really all you got to do is you have to go off of the FIU tape and understand that that's probably the best he's going to give you because FIU's talent level isn't up to Miami's. And, and that was basically like playing a scout team for them. So you can go in assuming that that's probably the best shot he's going to give, but he is going to be slightly improved from what he was from what he was last week, just because he's got game experience now. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I just echo everything he said, first of all, but secondly, the, the other thing that that's kind of difficult to explain is why having film on a quarterback say is important, right? Because I mean, at a, at a certain level, coaches run their system, right? Mark Richt is going to call Mark Richt's offense, regardless of who the quarterback is. So then yeah, you ask, this is a great point. Yeah. Why, why is it important to have film on a, on a quarterback? Like, I mean, I, I know Mark Rick's offense. I mean, I, I learned it, right? I, I, but now it's changed over the years some, but why, why is it important? Well, it's because even though you may call the same play, one guy may be more comfortable going here rather than here, right? So let's say you have a curl flat concept. Some, some quarterbacks are going to be more aggressive and they're going to get the ball out to the curl more quickly other quarterbacks are going to be are going to be more comfortable throwing that flat route. You want to know what the guy's defaults are. That's what you're really looking for in this kind of film session. So you know, okay, these are the things that they like to do that historically Mark Richt has liked to do. But let's say Rozier is, and, and, and it's true, Rozier is limited as a passer, right? He doesn't throw certain balls, particularly you know, deep seam routes and certain things over the middle all that well. Well, does this kid suddenly open up zones on the field? Does he throw those balls that we previously, we were going to kind of scheme on defense. You scheme in general, what you're trying to do as a, as a coordinator, you want to make whatever team, whatever offense you're facing beat you left-handed. You're, there's always going to be stuff you're willing to give up in order to take away stuff that they do well. What you need to know and what you're trying to figure out with tape is, okay, this guy really seems to like these three or four concepts. And, and as an offensive coach, when I was coaching quarterbacks, one of the things that I would do at the end of each week, and at the beginning of each week, actually, I would do it twice a week. I would ask my quarterbacks, what do you feel comfortable with this week? If we, if we call, you know, if, if we're in third and nine, and, and you know what they're going to come out in, we've watched the tape, what, what do you want to call? What, where, what do you want to call and where do you think that ball is going to go? And that's going to influence, influence play calling because now I know that my guy really likes trips right Nebraska a whole lot more than two by two, you know, for us, Ohio, right? Ohio smash hunt. He, he likes that on third and nine better. Now, another quarterback may like something a little bit different. So the, the coach is going to call the same system, but there might be a little bit different tendon there could be some different tendencies because of what one guy does better than another or what he's comfortable reading or where let's say you you find out this guy ha doesn't really recognize dropping defensive linemen yet the young young quarterbacks that's something that oftentimes you'll see or you know oh you can trap this guy you can make it look like it's like it's say cover two or cover three and you can trap him and you know you, you if you disguise it and suddenly you have that corner roll down and, it, and, and play cloud instead of cover three, you can trap cover him and he'll throw it right to that corner because he's not used to seeing that yet. We, you know, there's this little hint of this on this film, and if we can get right, the right situation and get the right call, we might be able to get a pick. That's the sort of stuff you're looking for. And when you only have one game of film on a guy, that gets really hard because you, you don't know really at this point. You, there's not enough to establish tendencies. You've got points instead of lines. And so now you go, well, you know, he seemed to, you know, you're charting it out and you're going, well, he threw in this zone, you know, five times on these play on these plays. It looks like he had a misread here based on this, but you know, I don't know if that's just a one-time thing or if that's a trend and you're always looking for trends when you're breaking down film and that's what makes it so hard. And that's what you're trying to do player for player, coordinator for coordinator. That's what you're trying to do when you're doing this film stuff. And so the solution is fall back on your fundamentals and <laughs> scheme, scheme concepts. Don't scheme players. Yep. You're scheming against the concept, not the player. And just, just relying on your fundamentals. That's how I always approach it as a player. And 
uh, the good staffs that I was that I was lucky enough to play for. That's that's how they always treated those situations. Yep. All right, Greg. So your thoughts on how Carolina and Papuchas and, and Fedora and all approach uh, going up against the Miami offense that's going to probably be as fast as any team they've faced since maybe last year's Miami offense. Yeah, I think it's pretty easy on both sides of the ball, but especially if Perry ends up being the guy and all indications are that he likely will be, uh, you, you take advantage of his youth. And one thing that Papuchas has done a pretty good job with uh, so far this year is being aggressive. You know, he's, he's you've sent blitzes from a lot of different places. The fact that he's using that kind of three, four look, one thing that uh, was pretty evident against Pittsburgh is he had a number of situations where the linebackers would come up to the line, but it was the defensive ends who would drop back into coverage while Holcomb and Dom Ross were the guys actually rushing the passer. Uh, and so while you're only still you know, maybe rushing four guys, you're, you're rushing linebackers instead of defensive ends. So it just gives you a little bit different look. Uh, but you know, he's talked a lot about wanting to be aggressive. He told me you know, before the season started, we want uh, you know, opposing offenses when they turn on our film to see an attacking, aggressive defense. And I think this is a perfect occasion for that. Because if you just sit back and play cautious and conservative, Miami is going to pick you apart. I think it would get ugly quickly. So really, you're, you're – uh, quiver that you've got is, is to attack and to throw everything you've got at them. And maybe that rattles Perry a little bit if he's actually the, the quarterback that plays. And maybe that's how you take advantage. Let's turn to uh, Carolina's offensive approach against the Miami defense. Jason, we talked about this a little bit early when we we're talking about the quarterback situations, you know, and I'm uh, in the camp that I don't think Carolina's approach to Pitt can be effective at all against Miami. I think Antonio Williams needs a big game and you need Miami's defense to um, sort of do Miami things at times and not really show up as much, but your take on how Carolina approaches it um, in attacking that Miami defense. That's pretty strong this year. Yeah, it is strong. I don't think it's as strong as, as their reputation uh, because I mean, it's Miami and everybody's so ready for Miami to be great that I think they've gotten a couple of years ahead in terms of hype, uh, which is why I thought they'd, they'd get beat by LSU in the opener. But um, they, you know, they've got some players. Their linebackers are excellent. Their linebackers are way better than what Pitt had out on the field. Uh, they've got some, some talented end. The place where they're not as strong, they've got one really good defensive tackle. And then behind him, they don't have a whole lot of depth. And next to him is not great. Uh, but they're, they're generally better across the board for the most part than what, what, uh, what Carolina just played, uh, last week. So, you know, the, uh, the other thing is that schematically they're, they're very different. Uh, Manny is going to be a lot of man free. I mean, he, he, he came out of the Mickey Andrews, uh, sort of approach to, to, uh, to defense, the longtime defensive coordinator for Florida state where, where Manny actually went. Uh, and he's going to, he's going to press you and Pitt is going to press you as well, but Pitt's going to do it out of a quarters look for the most part with two safeties that are going to come down and have some run fill responsibilities. Miami's going to generally do it out of a single safety look, and they're going to play a little more aggressively, a little more inside, uh, on that. Uh, to get that eighth guy in the box as often as they can, or seventh guy if you're in three wide or whatever. They're going to try to get that extra guy in the box, whereas Pitt's going to try to kind of play with the, a half of a guy with each safety. It's hard to explain on on podcasts. This isn't necessarily the best uh, format for that. But to me, the, the problem with facing this Miami team is they are going to do everything they can to take away the run. And given their personnel, given how they're going to put that extra guy in the box and challenge you to beat them, out wide, ultimately, to me, this game is determined by whether or not Carolina is going to be able, at least offensively, is going to be determined based on whether or not Carolina's outside wide receivers are going to be able to win some one-on-one -on -one battles against those corners. If they're able to get some big plays down the sideline, then they're going to have a chance to win the game. If they can't, can, they can't get a few of those, then Miami's going to lock them down because I don't think they're going to be able to run it quite as well against Miami as they did against Pitt. And unless they can force those corners to respect him, they're just going to load up in the box, and that's going to be that. 
So, Mike, it, the podcast has sort of come full circle. It comes down to the performance of the offensive line and the performance of North Carolina's quarterback, whether it's Elliott, Surratt, <laughs> Fortin. I uh, got a Jace Ruder jersey ready. Uh, your thoughts there, Carolina's ability to get it done against Miami on Thursday night. Well, Tommy, you didn't just say that this football game comes down to blocking, tackling, running, and catching. <laughs> I said something of the sort. <laughs> what a revolutionary concept. Man, I keep um, it simple here, dude. This is a football man, we're, one for dummies. Man, we are breaking down. Talk about one enlightening podcast this has turned into. But listen, so from an offensive line standpoint, if Carolina is going to be successful running the ball, they're going to have to be able to handle the three, four front Miami. When I talked about earlier, they run multiple fronts. Most teams do now, but Miami does it very well that they can run a three down front and they can run their four down their four D line front. Um, they run them both very well. They run basically the same pass rush concepts out of it. Um, they turn their three down front into a four man rush. Most of the time, uh, usually bringing, usually bringing an outside linebacker and then they keep, uh, they keep two linebackers in the well and then uh, a rover out in space somewhere um, or however, whatever you want, a nickel, whatever you want to term him. Um, but there's usually a guy sitting out there in space, a will linebacker, I guess, is how we would designate him if we were on the field. But the footwork obviously changes in that three down front. And Miami has some real solid athletes uh, up front. Jason already hit on it. They've got they've got some talent at the end and they got that kid who's a transfer out of Florida. I think he's what, number five. Uh, yeah, defense he's tackle. a player. He's, He's a good player, and he's playing very. He's playing angry. He's playing like he has a chip on his shoulder, and he's he looked he looked very good against FIU. He's looked good this season, and he's gonna by all all predictions, he's gonna look good against us. Um, <laughs> Carolina's footwork on the offensive line is gonna be completely different against that three down front than it is a four down front. Your footwork's tighter. Your shoulder integrity is much tighter. Uh, your angles are different. Your double teams change. Your base blocks change, and then pass protection changes. All the footwork and pass protection changes. Your your, your pass protection assignments change. Your eyes change, right? Where you're looking for things uh, changes and it's altered. And they have to be ready to handle that because Manny will throw those will throw those multiple fronts at you kind of out of nowhere and he'll lull you to sleep with an odd front and odd – that's a three-down look. He'll lull you to sleep with his odd front, odd front, odd front, and then all of a sudden, boom, you got a four-down look and you got four speed rushers out there and you don't know what happened because it's only second down. Um, they're very good at switching up the tempo on offenses and Carolina has got to be ready for that. But mm -hmm. as long as Carolina can keep its fundamentals down, right. I uh, can keep its fundamentals down uh, in terms of its footwork, its hand placement, its shoulder integrity, and its assignments first and foremost, understanding their assignments as the look changes, uh, particularly in the three down front, then they're going to have some success because Antonio Williams is going to be able to run the ball. If you give him a little bit of daylight. Uh, the good news is when you're running into a three-down front, there is some natural daylight that's created, especially there on the inside uh, over top of those guards. Double teams tend to be a little bit easier for the inside blocker, meaning the guy who's coming out. But the guy who's covered up, double teams are difficult. So they're, they're going to have to get movement on that. And if they can get movement on that, they'll run the ball fine. And if they can keep their footwork tight uh, in pass protection and they don't get beat by, their, by, by the head-up techniques and they're able to, to to keep their eyes outside for whatever pressure comes from the outside knowing where it comes from because it's always different um if they can understand their assignments in their pass protection schemes out of that odd front then they whoever the quarterback is should have enough time to make enough plays to where carolina can can win this game uh, at the worst make it make it competitive so you know there, there's a lot of silver lining here but you know We've had one good game against Pitt, one win, and it wasn't even it wasn't a great game, but it was a good game. Um, hopefully, they can continue that success that gives them a little boost going into Miami. But it's all going to be it's all going to be fundamentals and technique based. I, I don't even know if I want to talk to my Ingersoll anymore, uh, but I'm going to make you go first. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make you go first. The, hurt, the hurt, the hurt feelings podcast. My bad. <laughs> it's sensitive. Uh, I'm, I'm sensitive, man. Sensitive. So, so let's what go. What was that, Major Pain? You remember that movie, Major Pain? Uh, that's a great movie. Uh, we need more of that. Uh, listen, who did Pitt beat last year? Who did they beat at the end of the season last year, Greg? Miami. Miami. Yeah. Miami. <laughs> Just something to think about. Carolina beat. Pit, pit by the transitive property we've already won this game <laughs> so you go with your prediction virginia, the virginia tech hokies were the transitive property 2014 national champions yeah absolutely make your pick carolina miami uh give me one minute pick and explanation if you can keep it that short 
Oh, I can, yeah, it's uh, I, I'm going thirty five fourteen Miami, and I know that sounds bad, but I just it seems the most realistic, and it's because defensively they're going to be able to shut us down. Um, they're they're going to cause enough headaches for us in the backfield that we're we're going to have trouble throwing the ball. We might even have trouble running the ball, and uh, and offensively their speed is going to their speed and scheme is just going to outmatch our defense because we can't we we couldn't stop a, a we couldn't stop anything. We couldn't stop smell from leaving a bag right now. Man is on the road, Jason. Wow, I, I I don't I don't even know how to follow that. Um, <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. So I, I I agree with Mike, but by and large, that I I don't see Carolina winning this game. Um, I I, I think I'm I'm maybe a little less bullish on Miami than 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 Mike's score suggests. Uh, but. At the same point, I'm also the guy that, who predicted eight wins this season. So don't, you know, don't, don't take my word for it. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I don't, I, I'm not, I'm not as bullish on Miami there, but I, I also am not real bullish on, on Carolina still. I'm still in the wait and see mode. Um, so I'm going to go with something along the lines of say 31, 17 Miami. All right. So we've got two pretty close ones, Greg, um, kind of know where you're going, but change it up just once your prediction, Carolina, Miami. I just yeah, just hearing Jason's pick, and I assume Tom and yours would be the same. I hope it's right, just because you guys have yet to win a game on this this pick segment this year. <laughs> You're accurate. Oh, three, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank. Appreciate it. I'm bound to revert to the mean at some point. <laughs> I'm just going for reverse. Uh, it, it takes a lot to be wrong every time. It, you've you've made it an art form, Tommy. I but would agree. Shout out, full Costanza on us. Craig, <laughs> Craig, your picks. So we can get out of here. I don't think I'll add much of relevance to this conversation, but I will say I do think North Carolina's <laughs> defense. Uh, you, know, I think they'll show up, and I think now that, especially if Aaron Crawford's able to get back, there, there's some hope that he would be able to this game. Uh, maybe they they play better uh, than than we've seen since the Cal game. And so with that, I, you, while Miami is going to shut down North Carolina's offense, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Uh, I, I think this is a lower scoring game. So I'll go Miami 27 to 10, and North Carolina will improve to 10 and 4 and 1 against the spread against the Hurricanes since they joined the ACC back in 04. So if you're a betting person, take uh, Greg's advice. Uh, I'm going uh... – I'm going to go an old-school score, 18-13 Miami. I think Carolina gets um, safety, a defensive touchdown, and two field goals. That's wow. right. And then in that 13, and then Miami does something weird to get to 18. I think Carolina beat them 18-13. 18-14. 18-14 in one of those games. I'm going 13. That's a good year. I, I'm going – with the hopes of keeping my role going of imperfection, that's my pick. Greg, Jason, Mike, you two. Appreciate y'all all taking the chance to join us. <laughs> this is a man, my opinion, just you know, used to be my favorite. You used to be my number one. I know the pleasure was all yours. And you just stuck me in the back and in the front. <laughs> but, uh, all right, guys, that'll do it for this one. Appreciate y'all listening to the inside Carolina podcast sponsored by Jersey Mike's. Thanks for listening to the Inside Carolina podcast presented by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Get 15% off your online order with the promo code HEALS15. Go to jerseymikes.com slash order now.